0: Well, this conversation didn't go as expected. I thought my interview with Stephen Pulver and Dan Levine, co-founders of Fireside Conference, would show how they've built a professionally organized, highly profitable conference that attracts the best and the brightest. Well, it does attract some pretty great people, but they won't say who, that's part of the allure. And as for profitability, well, it's kinda hard when you pour every extra dollar you make from attendees and sponsors right back into making a better event but it's professionally managed and optimized, right? And suffice to say, this is one of the most fun interviews I've had so far, and there's a lot to learn about building a community around your brand, which can lead to other opportunities. Grab your s'mores and gather around the fire, friends. It's time for some real talk. Build Cycle, the podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRuler.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business... The Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. All right, Stephen and Dan, thanks for making the time to be on the Build Cycle podcast. And you guys are the co founders of Fireside Conference, which is a. Conference in Canada. I've been trying to think about like how I would say like it's not like a tech conference. It's not a startup conference. It's just kind of a conference of presumably interesting people that all want to get better at something and meet other interesting people. How do you guys define Fireside? It's funny. We've we've been trying
1: to really figure that out in many ways over the last four years. And uh, I, I say that a bit tongue in cheek because we, we do have a way that we define it. But one of the one of the compelling things about Fireside for us is how it has grown and changed over the years. So when we started this five years ago and we're going to our fourth event, we had this view of, of really being a bit a bit sick and tired of the traditional conference you were attending, which took place in a convention center with concrete buildings and stages and lightings and business cards and crappy pieces of chicken and one drink ticket. And we wanted to, we wanted to take the same group of people that we were meeting and connecting with at these conferences and events, but do what we love to do, which is uh, go into the middle of nowhere Two and a half hours from the closest big city and closest airport where there's no cell phone reception and the weather's a bit unpredictable, but where we have a 750 plus acre uh, private green space with an incredible lake that houses no one but us and take that group sit around the bonfires with them roast marshmallows and really share war stories about what it's like in the grind of the day-to-day as an entrepreneur and a startup founder or a business person and uh, invite some of those folks to bring a few of their team members along with them and bring in some investors so we could form informal relationships that weren't the typical exchange of business cards and uh, although in, in many ways it started out with a bit of a focus on technology That was probably more a symptom of what our networks were because we have collectively 10 to 15 years of experience in the technology entrepreneurship startup space. and So we reached out to our broader networks and I brought about 30 30 or so folks that I knew up for the weekend and Steven brought 30 or so folks that he knew up for the weekend. And um, while well, we really didn't intend necessarily for this to turn into what it's turned into, I don't think we necessarily intended for Fireside even to be more than a one-time thing. And what happened when we returned to the city uh, four years ago in September, is we started getting emails and phone calls from people actually all across the country of Canada saying hey I heard about this thing that invited so-and-so to how, how the heck do I get involved? Do I need to be a tech CEO? Do I need to be a tech founder and kind of organically? It's grown into this festival or summit or retreat where Incredible minds and incredible people that care more about building authentic relationships come together to sit around the fire and actually become friends and actually get to know each other. And it doesn't matter if you're a tech company or a startup company or a founder of a popsicle stand. It doesn't matter. As long as you are an amazing, incredible human being with a bit of a sense of adventure and you're willing to be a little bit uncomfortable and you're willing to meet amazing people and go past the superficial, relationships that we tend to form at traditional events, uh, then you're probably a good fit. And that's, that's probably the best way to describe what fireside is to describe it through emotion and feeling more so than a bunch of descriptors about what it
0: is people who come to fireside do for a living. Right. Cool. And, uh, so since you mentioned the type of person that's there, um, that was one of my later questions. Let's jump in about how you pick and choose those people. And real quick, before we even do that, I want to, uh, just apologize for my voice. I'm coming off of a bunch of travel and got a little bit of a sore throat. But uh, also, Stephen, if you just want to chime in and just say your name so people know your voice versus Dan's when you guys are talking, that'd be awesome. <laughs> for sure. This is Stephen.
2: I, I see. I don't know if we have a similar voice on, you on do. air despite having our own podcast. So, or, Well, it's tough, though, because
1: it, I think it takes some time to become acclimatized to a voice. So even right. if they're dissimilar to remember whose is who— I mean, sometimes I can't even remember who's Ringo, right. who's like, John, and who's Paul.
2: Right. Like if I were if, and the worst part is if I'm wearing a name tag right now, no one would know. No
1: one would know. Right. But right. you're not. Just I'm in not. case anyone's so wondering, he's not wearing a so, name tag. Uh,
2: I am Stephen. The person talking to me before was Dan. Um, and you know, it's a great question, Tyler. And just to to summarize, I think you were kind of asking about how we go
0: about uh, finding people and and how we choose the right people. Yeah, because there's a process, right? Like, it sounds like not everybody that applies is accepted, or at least that's the way the website makes it feel. Yeah, so that's definitely true. Uh, we wish we could take everyone. We we cap it at 400 every year.
2: Um, our first year, we were about 70-odd people, 75, 76 people. Uh, and, you know, we looked really to our direct audience, uh, and we, we said, okay, here are the people that we are closest with, uh, and here are uh, the places they're working. Uh, a lot of the places we were looking at that time were startup accelerators and incubators uh, and, and other startups that we knew in the area. Uh, and then after our first year, that group kind of started inviting their own friends and their own colleagues. Uh, some also started bringing their teams. And then from there, uh, you know, in our third year, which was last year, we were at 400 people. So we, we've, we've experienced some considerable growth and that has caused us to rethink the types of people that we're we're, we're approaching uh, and making sure that we are selecting the best of the best because we simply just don't have room uh, for everyone so the typical like the typical attendee uh founder ceo team member not necessarily a founder although we do attract a lot of founders entrepreneurs investors uh but as dan said we're also uh (laughs) you probably can't hear it on the recording, but it just started absolutely pouring here and the lights have kind of gone in and out. It's quite romantic, actually. <laughs> it, it is. And a little scary. Uh, it's we're it's about to cheaper to,
1: to just have the power go out than to use your Hue lights. It's Right, it's, exactly, exactly. We've lost some of the
2: lights, but uh, alas, some of them have turned back on. So if we lose you, uh, you'll know why, uh, if, the, if the Wi-Fi goes out. as That's a really weird... Uh, anyways, so, you know we've looked for those founder types, the investors, the, the CEOs. Um, but as Dan said before, you know, last year we've, we welcomed musicians, we welcomed, uh, athletes we've welcomed, uh, you know, people that run their own soda companies. We it's, it's such a, uh, there's no particular person that is the right fit for, for Fireside. We ask two main questions when it comes to finding the right people. We call it, what is your superpower? What is the thing that you want to teach and be known for at Fireside? And what is your kryptonite? What is the thing that if you could choose anything to learn or be inspired by, what would that thing be? And quite honestly, we can tell almost immediately uh, from both people's applications, because those are questions that we ask on their application. Uh, but even just a quick phone call, Tyler, I knew, I know we had one of those phone calls following your application, and I'm uh, not sure if you recall going through those pieces, but those are huge factors for us. We can tell almost immediately whether someone's gonna be a good fit just based on on asking those questions. We care more about people wanting to uh, to learn from one another and being open to the fact that they don't know everything, uh, as we do about the fact that someone is a you know Fortune 500 CEO uh, who who has learned a ton. Uh, we we are always looking for people who are who are uh, just obsessed with learning.
0: Right on, cool. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm I'm looking forward to coming. in. And if you guys want to give it a quick plug, it's conferences uh, early October. And is it sold out yet for this year? Sorry. So- uh, so I, I hope you haven't booked your plane ticket yet, because it's early September. Early September. You're right. Yep. <laughs> I, was, you know, I was looking at the calendar this morning, and I already got it mixed up, but no, I'm, I am we I plan on driving up.
2: Uh, oh, amazing. Okay, great. September 6th to 9th, uh, FiresideConf, Uh Actually, Tyler, we should do a little build cycle uh, landing page. Happy to put that up as well. Yeah. Uh, do something special for your listeners. So why don't we do... Uh, just firesideconfcom cycle. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's cool. Sounds great. So that that's that's Fireside in a nutshell. Um, but for us, it's the pieces that are just beyond the conference itself that have become very important to us tonight. Actually, as we see the rain pouring down, we're hosting a little get together barbecue for some of our uh, for some of our alumni, and and hopefully it still goes off. But we uh, we just love meeting people and getting connected.
0: Cool. And so one of those alumni, this kind of leads nicely into the more people questions, was I think last year you guys had Robert Scoble, right? Correct.
1: Yeah, we had Robert Scoble. We had Andrew Warner uh, from Mixer G, which is a show that we love. Uh, Jeff Palver, the founder of Vonage. Uh, we have an incredible group of alumni that we're really proud of.
0: Yeah. So how do you attract that kind of person? Is that a situation where you bring those people in as a draw to get other people to sign up or did they just sign up on their own? So, uh, interestingly enough, um, uh, when you talk about bringing those people in as a
1: draw, uh, I, I would implore uh, anyone listening to check out our website, and you'll probably notice we we don't have a section that says speakers, right, or who's coming. Uh, and at some point, a little closer to the conference, we might put up some faces just so people can get a little acquainted with everyone. But one of our core values, actually is keeping the guest list for the most part hidden, Um, at least hidden from people who haven't yet applied and been accepted. So Tyler, uh, you'll start getting emails from us over the coming weeks to introduce you to some of the faces that you're gonna meet in September. But we very explicitly shy away from saying, hey everyone, uh, Robert Scoble's coming, and the founder of Vonage is coming, and the founder of Well is coming, and the founder of this company is coming because what ends up happening is when you get a group of people like that together in an environment where it's all self-contained and we eat together and we sleep in cabins together and we do activities together and uh, it's really quite immersive, there's no green room, no VIP area. Uh, you end up getting people applying to attend uh, under the auspices of really just wanting to meet those people, or they have a particular they have a particular um, means to an end that they're trying to achieve. And we have a very strict no pitch environment. As I said, we're trying to create authentic relationships here, and so it's because the trust that we've built through the running of our event in a respectful manner like that that we are able to have uh, quite high profile people attend and want to apply. They know it's not gonna be the typical conference where they go on stage and the lights are shining and they have the VIP pass and no one can get to them, but uh, they also know that they don't have to be worried about a thousand people running up to them to take selfies or having that new startup founder pitch them for investment. What they they can count on, uh, for example, if you're an investor is, you're certainly not going to get pitched at in a, with an elevator pitch to invest in someone's brand new startup. But what you might do is find yourself going sailing with that person or playing tetherball or volleyball or rock climbing or making s'mores with them and developing a real relationship. And that's what we have found people really are striving for. And our responsibility is just to give them that opportunity.
0: Yeah, and so I think one of the reasons why I had a hard time classifying your conference is because the website is sort of a little bit, in, I, I guess, intentionally vague about the purpose, the point, point. and so along with not disclosing who's coming and speaking, do you find that it becomes a, more of a challenge to attract people and, and get them to actually pull the trigger and sign up? Uh,
2: I mean, I, I think so, but it's it's worth it. I mean, we 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 are in a spot, as I had mentioned before, where we We only need four hundred people. Uh, as Dan and I have talked about a lot in the past that you know there are obviously billions of people on earth. There are millions of people involved in in companies. There are you know millions of people involved in startups and people that you know want to connect in a way like this. Uh, we should not have a have an issue finding four hundred. and I mean, we don't have an issue. we're We're very grateful that that we sell out every year. Um, but it certainly does lend itself to a lot of questions. You know, we, we used to, for instance, have a full FAQ page on our site. Um, and we realized there was no number of questions that we could answer that would satisfy the questions that we would get. You know, we still get questions, you know, what are the dates of the conference? We still get, uh, basic questions that you know, are right there on the site. Uh, But every time we would add, you know, questions and answers about, you know, the cabins and uh, transportation and all those kinds of things, um, there would just be another question that would pop up. So we kind of made the concerted effort of, well, you know what, let's kind of take that down, deal with things on a case by case basis. A huge thing for us actually was uh, integrating Drift, which is just a simple chatbot on our site. Uh, For better or for worse, Dan and I are literally on there all the time. Uh, There's been times where it's woken us up in the middle of the night and we've spoken to to potential applicants. But just being present and being there for um, both alumni and potential applicants and applicants themselves, uh, we've kind of alleviated uh, a lot of those concerns by just being available to answer questions.
0: on, And you guys have a Slack channel that once somebody is accepted, they get signed up to and I guess they're, you know alumni can kind of answer some of those questions for you for new people that are planning on attending. Yeah, exactly. We, we have a really
1: active alumni community and, uh, And it's also the case that we have a really amazing alumni community and so they're always willing to to help and answer questions. And uh, one of the things one of the interesting things that we do is um, uh, a lot of people say to us, well, how am I supposed to get to this place? Right. There's no public transport that's going to get you there. And it's three and a half hours from Toronto. It's it's difficult to get to. And uh, they say, how am I going to get there? And in our Slack channel, we actually help facilitate carpool transportation. And listen, there's some people who the idea of spending three and a half hours in a car with four other random strangers seems like an absolute nightmare. But those are precisely the type of people that aren't a good fit for Fireside. So just by design, as I said at the outset, the fact that there's no cell phone reception, the fact that it it could get a little too cold, the fact that it's difficult to get to and you're going to have to meet new people and be in uncomfortable situations, that actually – in many ways helps with self-selecting the right type of people. So over the years, um, it was certainly difficult in the first couple of years to to get the word out there. But we've now spread the, the knowledge of our brand uh, pretty well amongst startup communities globally. And so we get a ton of inbound interest. The difficult part is, as you put it, Tyler, there's no clear, succinct one line, one sentence way to encapsulate what fireside is so there's a a Lot that goes into the vetting process in terms of getting people on the phone figuring out who they are what their interests are where their comfort levels are and whether or not we feel they'd be a good fit for the entire experience and once that's really been figured out and distilled down it certainly uh, It certainly makes it a lot easier to figure out who those 400 people that are going to be attending every year will be. And we also cap the number of alumni, actually, that we allow to return. So every year we only allow 25% of our alumni to come back. And this helps us get a good balance of new members and new folks to the community, while also letting alumni continue to carry
0: on the culture that we've built forward each year. Is that first come, first serve, or do you guys pick and choose which alumni you re-invite? It's it's t- on the alumni
1: side. It's typically first come first serve. Uh, although there are some folks, and it, it has been quite limited, where after the their attendance in a given year, it's it's um, we've realized that it's probably not a great fit for them. And in the most part, uh, it's usually mutual. Uh, for any number of reasons, people might figure out, hey, you know, it, it's not a good fit. Uh, but uh, thankfully, that's been few and far between. I, I I don't even know that I can count on one hand uh, the number of folks that we've we've had to say, uh, you know, it, this might not
2: be the best event for you. We also have alumni who, uh, you know, their team grows. So we have one one founder, let's say, or they come with their co-founder, and next thing you know, the next year there's six people, uh, or there's twelve people, and then they're occupying a whole cabin uh, because we do we do work with a lot of groups. So they'll come out and they'll fill a whole cabin with eighteen of you know their people. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, what happens is they just outgrow that, you know, we're not, we're not in the position at Fireside to take a group of say 30 people necessarily from one, one company that might, you know, skew, uh, skew our numbers. But what we'll do is we'll actually say, yeah, we'll do a separate event for you guys. We actually just, uh, we just did that, uh, last week and we're doing another one in, in September for, for a group that's just simply grown too big for, for the conference itself. Uh, so that's kind of been an interesting offshoot as well of the alumni experience.
0: Oh, it's cool. It's kind of like a little side business thing that lets you kind of continue what you're doing without having to start a whole new conference. Um, so yeah, exactly. I, I got kind of a question about that. but And then like just to kind of let people know what's coming up so they stay tuned And is uh, we're going to talk about how you guys market the event and then also the economics of it and how you pick the venue and the size and how to set your pricing and all that. But kind of sticking with the nice flow of this into the how people get to know of the event. So I heard about it from listening to Jordan Harbinger's podcast and he had a promo code which is why I went and checked it out and I think honestly like without those two things like hearing it recommended from somebody that I respect and also probably like having that promo code available like it was kind of like I didn't even have to make a decision I was like yeah that sounds good and part Hmm. of the reason why is because like I've been wanting to go to social media marketing world for a couple of years now and it's just the timing's bad for one but it's also a really expensive event but it's the kind of place where you get to go and meet these people and listen to these people that are doing really big amazing things, so I figured this this kind of seemed like an easy thing, so that's how I heard about the event and why I signed up. What are some of the other marketing tools you guys use to get the word out to attract new people? Yeah, so there's
1: a number of tools and and uh strategies that we use, and they kind of fall into different rubrics based on our objectives so the number one way that people actually say, hey, I'd like to apply and come to Fireside is always by referral. That's 100 percent the number one driver. And we wouldn't have it any other way, whether it's Jordan Harbinger saying that he's coming and recommending to his tribe and his listeners to come or an alumni tweeting about their experience or blogging about their experience. That has always been the number one driver. So in terms of like what you might call direct performance marketing, that referral network of great people coming into Fireside is the number one way that we're tying sort of a or seeing a direct ROI, let's say. But we take a very, very holistic approach to marketing and, uh, and we have a number of goals when it comes to marketing as well. So branding generally is super important to us. And there are a lot of choices that we make with branding that don't at all Relate or correspond with typical ROI metrics, or they may correspond with typical ROI metrics, but we actually ignore them for the most part. And a good example of that would be uh, Facebook and Google ads. We spend uh, a lot of time and a lot of money putting our message out there on Facebook and on Google. And the reason is not so that we get random people signing up. The reason is because we view it as really powerful brand marketing opportunities in the modern age. And we want to really get the feel of our culture and the vibe of what it is that we're building out there. And so we use tools like Facebook and Google that give us not just breadth, but depth in the type of audience that we can reach and really allow us to fine tune the message that we put out there. And uh, we do a lot of community events locally. Uh, We do travel quite a bit and do community events in some alumni hubs. Uh, Most recently, we've gone to New Orleans and Boston, where we've hosted dinners with alumni and other friends of ours to keep the community together. But um, as I say, our our main focus is really on uh, referrals or what we call nominations. So, if someone we trust tells us that they know someone incredible that should join at Fireside and they're an alumni, that referral is worth way more than any application because we already have the trust of the person that's attended.
0: And it's funny you mentioned the referrals and all that because you know when I signed up, you guys sent me a link that says, okay, you can use this link to refer other people and they'll get a little bit of discount and I'll get a little bit of a credit, which is cool, but I'm actually hesitant to use it because one of the reasons I want to go to this is to meet new people and not have the same group of people around me that I'm already dealing with because I'm not going to learn from new people and learn new things that way. And so I'm kind of curious about these groups that end up bringing, you know, a couple people and then all of a sudden they're filling a cabin does that, do you see them kind of clustering together at this and maybe not getting the most out of it because they're, they can stay in a comfort zone as opposed to going being forced to meet new people. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Um, when it comes, I think when it comes to camp and comfort zones, those things really
2: don't, don't align. Like there's no such (laughs) thing as a comfort zone. There's, there's, you know, in our first year Well, speaking of comfort zones, I mean, they're, you're automatically pushed out of your comfort zone unless you're uh, unless you're so used to camping and being outdoors that like this is your home away from home. Um, you, you now know, you're scaring this, me this a little. Be, no, no, no. no. I, I I mean it by like you know you're 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 not we're not the risk. Well, maybe he should be just a little maybe bit scared. a little bit scared. You know that's okay. But here's the thing. To be honest, uh, I, I I couldn't point to any data point of like someone came up with their referrals and you know whether or not they spent the whole time with them i i I couldn't speak to that but what what i could speak to is you know while dan takes on the massive task of figuring out our schedule and when things are happening when podcasts are being recorded when talks are happening i undertake another huge task of ensuring that cabin placements are done properly Uh, and people sometimes think that it's a a random act of where they end up, uh, living in a cabin. We like
1: nothing more than when someone goes, oh my God, great coincidence. You'll never believe who I met in my cabin. Right. And we sort of go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Great coincidence. We kind of chuckle and laugh. Yeah. So, so (laughs) part of the Tyler, did you complete the master information form that we sent you following your application
0: yet? Yeah, I think I've filled in anything you've sent me to do.
1: So that was a pretty long form and had a lot of questions, a lot of questions about your preferences and your interests. Uh, It was probably like 20 or so questions long. And every single attendee fills out that form. And Stephen has the unbelievable task of going through every single one of those forms as they come in and figuring out, based on things that you might have told us about yourself that probably haven't even surfaced in terms of consciousness of how that might direct where you're going to end up living at fireside. But then Steven goes and
2: basically makes this incredible mental map right. of figuring out where everyone should be and live. Right. Like Tyler, I know, you know, and, and this is from memory, but I, I remember asking you in, in our applicant intake when we first spoke what your, uh, if you could learn anything or grow in any kind of way, what would it be? And I, I believe it was somewhere around growth, right, of like both podcasts and websites and and just how to take it to the next level, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh That's That sounds correct, right? Yep. Uh, see, my memory is not bad. Your memory is uh, not, uh, not bad. Your, that is written down somewhere. But uh, it will be and, – and this is kind of letting the secret sauce out to the world. But it will be no coincidence that I will place you in a cabin with – like-minded people that can help in that respect. But at the same time, I believe from our conversations, you're going to be able to help also. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean, like, I will not necessarily put you, in fact, I wouldn't by default put people in cabins that use those referral links unless they specifically wrote on their form that they wanted to live uh, with those people. The same even goes for our groups. So when our groups come up, uh, I'll actually say to the group, "Hey, like, do you guys want to be 18 people in a cabin, or do you want me to divide you in, you know, groups of two or three across multiple cabins?" So on the referral piece, like, uh, nothing is coincidence. Well, very little is coincidence. A lot of it is planned. There's there's a lot behind the scenes to ensure that. Yeah, you might come with those two or three people, but it it could happen that you might. Not really hang out with them all weekend, but there's actually something I think even bigger and more important, which is Tyler,
1: I can almost guarantee you if you share that referral link with two or three people that, you know, as colleagues or business associates or startup founders, unless it's literally someone that you've gone camping with before or your best friend you have no idea what that person is like in the camp environment. And that's true for most people who are referring one or two individuals. It, the, the venue that we bring you to, by design, it brings out parts of your personality and personalities of the other attendees that you literally don't even know exist. Sometimes the individual themselves don't know that these parts of their personality exist. And by virtue of, of them coming up, It's not at all analogous to if you found a friend and you went to a convention downtown Toronto at the Toronto Convention Center and got a hotel room together and went out for a couple meals with the group, right? In that situation, you certainly probably would stick together and not really learn all that much about each other. But the second you come into that camp environment, everything changes. You learn and discover more about yourself and other people than you ever knew was possible. And so it actually um, I, I would I would challenge you and say that you, you'd probably be quite surprised what would come out of bringing uh, two or three people into a network of 400 amazing people plopped down into a remote environment with no cell
0: phone reception. Cool. And I'm sure the open bar doesn't hurt uh, with people kind of bringing out their personality a little bit, too. Yeah,
1: as long as they behave responsibly, they're uh, welcome and entitled to have some fun as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I should ask, does that become an issue? Because I know like, some of the bike events I've been to for Bike River, where there's an open bar, there have been occasions where some of the journalists have not made it on the next morning's ride. Is that, <laughs> is that a problem, or is it just well, sort of a little a nice social lubricant?
1: Luckily, there's no next morning ride for people to have to get up. <laughs> Uh, to get up for. But actually, that's that's an important note. We uh, we don't take the responsibility of having an open bar lightly. We have uh, professional bartenders that come up and serve everyone responsibly. We uh, we have a very, very strict zero tolerance policy for any sort of antisocial behavior that is unbecoming or unwelcome. And uh, I think part of the the fact that it's a small group of people um, all of whom get to really know each other, it's, it lends a bit of, of uh, a social burden on one another to really make sure we all behave responsibly and to our good fortune perhaps, but also perhaps because of the systems and, and organizations that we have in place in four years, uh, we haven't had an issue and, and we intend to keep it that way.
0: So let's uh, say a little bit into the economics of this event and kind of events in general. So what is the economic model for a conference? Like how do you determine how much to charge? <laughs> so uh, we we're just talking about this.
1: Yeah, it, uh, this is something that we talk about all the time. And uh, the economic model of a conference and the economic model of fireside conference are going to be very different. So most conferences try to operate at scale. Uh, Meaning you're looking to try to get to thousands or tens of thousands of people. And by virtue of getting to tens of thousands of people, you, number one, can usually cover a lot of your fixed costs through the cost of admission. But that then allows you to do things like sell sponsorships at scale, sell speaking opportunities at scale. Uh, These are things that we're typically not afforded with because we are a small group, and we don't really advertise who's coming, so it's difficult to go to a sponsor and say, hey, uh, let's get your brand in front of this group of people, and you're going to hit these particular targets that are important to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are some sponsors that we've worked with over the years who have been absolutely incredible and supportive because they really get what we're doing, and they recognize the fact that there is, although there's not a breadth, A breadth of people. There's a depth of people. Really, really incredible people. Um, And so that has helped. But um, one thing that you probably don't know about Fireside, uh, because we we don't share this too often and it's not super important, but on the topic of economics, is that Stephen and I have day jobs, and these day jobs are how we pay our rent and our mortgage or whatever. Fireside, really, truly, honestly. Uh, was born out of and continues to be a, a passion project out of love. We absolutely love doing this. And the way we set up the business model is to basically break even. So even when we find opportunities to be cash positive or make money, we almost always take that extra capital and invest it not just back into the business, but we invest it into the particular event, whether it's having some incredible food upgrade or some really amazing extra swag item, whatever that's going to be, we take those extra resources and we reinvest it to make the experience for the attendee that much better. It's um, there. there's a lot of responsibility that falls on an event organizer to ensure when three, four, 500 people are entrusting them with three days of their lives and a not insignificant amount of money uh, to ensure that that's a positive experience. And so anything we can do to help ensure that, whether that involves
2: reinvesting some potential profits, those are typically decisions that we make. Right, and just to add to that, people sometimes ask us, well, what's your swag budget? Or what's your budget for Anything, anything like we don't have a budget. It's not, it's not because it's unlimited. Trust me, it's not unlimited, but it's a direct connection with the revenue we can bring in that is going to affect how much we can spend on things like our, for instance, I know you mentioned the bar before, like our bar alone is a humongous expense. Our food, uh, you know, we're feeding 400 people, uh, early morning snack, breakfast, uh, Mid morning uh, snack, lunch, mid afternoon snack, uh, evening dinner, then evening um, evening snack plus you know open bar. There's a ton of food and and drink costs that are directly correlated to to you know tickets are what pays for those things plus the swag. Um, Plus, you know, all of our marketing expenses, which aren't huge, but everything adds up. Right. Uh, But we've never, as far as I'm concerned, ever made a decision uh, based on some master budget we set out at the beginning of the year, uh, because it'd be a complete waste of time for us to even put together. Like we we work
1: exactly the opposite way that a profitable business probably should work right? You set a master budget, you make revenue projections, you segment out how much you're going to spend in marketing and swag and booze and whatever. And if it turns out that you've to buy some shittier beer because you're going to go over budget, okay, you you make that sacrifice. We do it pretty much quite the opposite, which is um, as revenue comes in, we build up the experience as best
2: as we can. So, yeah. And, and, these are not inconsequential purchases, but they're so worth it. Like they are so worth it to the guest experience. And that really is what it's all about. Um, and we can only do that because it's a passion project. We'd be insane to do this,
0: uh, you know, in, in any other way. All right. Well, let's pretend for a minute that it is somewhat of a, a real business meant to make, even in a private, let's just say your profits a dollar. I imagine there's some formula involved hard costs plus what you want to make divided by the number of attendees. But within those hard costs, there's some that you can anticipate like the lodging and right. Uh, to some extent food. And I'm curious how you figure out that food budget. That's one of my questions. But then like, what are some of the big hard costs that are kind of fixed before you get to the, the fact where, Oh, we have a little left over. Let's go do something with right. that. So, so, so like, the, on, oh. on
1: the food, well, there's when it comes to food and, uh, Again, I, I, I'm cognizant that this may not be the most helpful answer, but um, last year we spent a
2: good, a good portion of about an hour debating pickles. Yeah, <laughs> we ultimately went for like a half sour, nice pickle. Uh, everything
1: from, from the vendor and the supplier and the type and the quantity and whether we should do wedges or uh, circle cut or slices or both. Um, and how and when they're going to be used. Um, the the truth, the, the real hard truth to your question, uh, the answer to your question is really what we've already said, which is unless a decision is going to have us lose money out of our pockets, we nine times out of 10, we go for that decision. If someone comes to us with an opportunity to make the guest experience better and we take a quick look at the cash flow in and the cash flow out and it looks like we could afford it, we do it as, as silly and stupid as that probably sounds. And if I were a consultant looking at the business, I'd be saying that we're morons. Um, That is, those are decisions we're able to make because of the fact that we run other businesses that help us support our day to day lives. And as long as we're not in financial ruin, we will continue to make those decisions.
0: Yeah. So in addition to food and the facility, like what are some of the other hard costs that are kind of more or less fixed before you get into putting on the extras?
2: Well, so swag. Yeah, so swag. But I guess it's still a little bit variable based on the people, number of people. Although we we know we, we order everything based on generally 450 to 500. So we, just so we have some extra if need be. So swag is probably our third biggest expense. Um, again, depending on what we want to get, uh, like last year, you know, to keep some secrets for for this year, but last year we did, uh, you know, a beautiful um, duffel bag and we did uh, hats and we did t-shirts and we did blankets and a few other things and all those things added up. Um, and, you know, th- that's a huge cost. I'm trying to think of other big ticket items, like as opposed to other conferences, we don't have a hundred thousand dollar speaker. Yeah, we don't spend we don't, money on
1: projectors and right, stages. like
2: we, we spend no money on speaker, literally attendant speakers or literally speakers, like sound right. speakers. Like, like there's no microphones. We so don't have to worry about technicians. We don't we don't have l- union costs. So like, seriously, like we don't, we don't like go into a venue and have to deal with like the rigging company that's going to be unionized and only work, you know, eight to five and, uh, and, and, you know, for, for us, we don't have to deal with that. That's a huge cost that we don't have to deal with, which is, which is amazing. Um, you know, we also have specialty staff that we, that we bring up every year. So we offer water skiing. So there's a cost involved in that. Um, as you can imagine, things like insurance is always a huge one. Um, you know, th- and then there's all always these little fixed costs that that are predictable, that aren't huge, but somehow just add up, you know, uh, liquor permits. and um, I'm trying to think like, you know, we <laughs> snacks, like snacks, that's a great example of something that that every year, year over year, things just add up the next thing you know you're you're at costco uh you know spending fifteen hundred dollars on on um munchies and whatever you know things like that tend to add up i'm sorry if, if i can't give you a specific answer of a thing but really swag food and 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 obviously drink and, and venue are by far our biggest yeah. let me
1: let me just uh, summarize by saying that our accountants are perhaps just as frustrated with us as you are because <laughs> they, they ask us similar questions. And we oftentimes don't have
0: the best answers. Yeah, well, it sounds like a fun way to run a business, I guess, if, if it's breaking even, and you can live off of other things. The I'm curious about the food, because I feel like that's one where people just be scratching their heads trying to figure that out. So like, you know, 400 450 500, however many people approximately are going to be there. How do you translate that number into how much food to buy? Do you use like a catering company to help you with that? Or are you guys figuring this out on your own? Uh, No. So uh, that's one thing that we don't have the benefit of
1: as a catering company. But, um, well, number one, this is a, a craft that's been learned after three, four years of, of doing events. And I should say that Stephen and I have no no history or pedigree in event or event management. We literally went into this knowing nothing about how to do an event like this. And, and that's probably why we make many of the decisions the ways that we do. But yeah, food is a difficult thing. And one thing that uh, perhaps you haven't even considered yet is it's not just a question of food and how much to purchase and what makes the most sense. But You'll remember from your intake form, we asked you about your dietary needs. And we will more or less cater to any dietary need. You could be vegan, kosher, halal, don't eat chickpeas, don't eat peanuts, don't eat square slices of bread, whatever it is. We don't care. If you tell us that you don't eat it, we're going to find a solution for you. And we're not just going to find some off-the-shelf microwavable something, we are going to give that guest the same level of experience that we give our guests that have no dietary restrictions. So it's extremely difficult. It's the reason why we send these attendee forms to our attendees as early as possible and why we ask them to tell us their preferences as soon as possible. And why we have things like a no refund policy and a no transfer policy because the second we learn that you like your coffee a particular way or you can't eat chicken or whatever it is, we go and we uh, we make our investments into those
0: food items that you can eat and you can enjoy. All right. And so and I've put on a couple of events in the past, nothing like this, but... They had their own challenges, mainly uh, mountain bike races and stuff like that. And so I remember when I was doing that, I I would work backwards from each thing. Okay, well, there's going to be food. And then, okay, well, how is that food going to get there? And who's going to make the food? How is it going to be served? Who's going to serve it? And it just kept working backwards to create this giant checklist of thinking through the entire process of something happening. And so for you guys, I imagine, let's just use the food as an example Somebody has to cook it. So you, I'm assuming you have to hire people to come in and work this, serve the food, cook it, and any other services that are offered. Is that like how have you guys created a process by which you can repeat this year after year? Because I'm sure you're not winging it completely each year starting fresh. No, it's <laughs> I mean, just, so it sounds uh, like, yeah, but. So typically uh, Stephen gets into the kitchen at
1: about 6 a.m. and starts <laughs> making a big bowl of mac and cheese. for uh, yeah, That's, no, that's but, for the whole weekend with yeah.
2: one bowl <laughs> of mac the, and cheese.
1: The, the answer is we we hire uh, a couple incredible executive chefs. They come up and, and they take over the industrial kitchen that we have. We have an entire kitchen staff that joins and everyone is properly trained And uh, under the leadership of the chefs that we work with who are incredible, they come together and and they basically become an organization unto themselves. And they really execute on food incredibly well.
2: Like it's not just food. We're talking, you know, we mentioned snacks before. It's like coffee service. So you have to serve coffee because everyone loves coffee, or many people do, to 400 people who are coming into the dining hall first thing in the morning. And these are things we didn't right. know four in our years first, ago. In our first attendee survey after our first year of Fireside, people were saying, great, I had the best time, but boy, was that coffee awful. And um, we just kept hearing that over and over again. And why is again. there only one coffee station? Right. So so like, like last we year, re- we probably spent two to three hours talking about how we were going to serve coffee last yeah, year. Yeah,
1: we planned it out. We had maps where the coffee stations would be and how often and when they would be refilled and who would be refilling them. Like it's taken four years, but we've worked that down to a science. And if you're if you're planning an event or if you have a business and you want to throw a conference or, you know, get into the event space, it's... You can't expect to get it right the first time or every time. But if you're willing to learn and get good feedback from your attendees, you can you can make those things better over time. And coffee is something that is super, super important to us and our attendees, which we've learned over time. And so I think we got it right
2: last There's year. One other, There's one other thing that's equally as important as coffee. What is it? Bacon. Oh, bacon. Yes. Bacon is. <laughs> bacon and coffee seems to be the important. two things that uh, we we went a little overboard in our third year with our bacon order, I'd say. They, they, the chefs were not exactly happy with if our. If I may say, I don't think you can ever go overboard with a bacon was, order. So, so one of our sponsors really wanted to put their name behind the bacon. <laughs> so they, they literally sponsored um, one of our few sponsorships like that, where we we worked with them to, to literally create this – this was a crazy – some kind of candied bacon that was sitting at the bars, a thick cut. Um, and the chefs kind of looked at me after and said, jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can ever make that again. It was just so – it was very labor intensive. Um, but lo and behold, they made it for us last year again. So, Nice.
0: Yeah, I think, um, so that reminded me of something, the, the coffee and, you know, just having problems and learning from them. So the first year that I put on this 24-hour mountain bike race, I thought it would be fun because I had done some other races, so I knew some of the things that I would have done better and liked, and I thought, oh, you know what would be really fun is a midnight pancake breakfast, right? <laughs> so I bought like 10 griddles, had all the batter mixed up, and we started plugging them in. The second we turned one on, it blew the circuit, and the place was at a a city park and the door to the breaker was locked and there's no way at midnight we're being able to call parks and rec to come out and open that up. So it was was kind of like a great idea that wasn't fully thought out or had no contingency plan. And I feel like that's a, a big lesson that's worth mentioning is you can have all these plans, but also have some kind of contingency plan or at least think through what could go wrong and try and solve for as many of those as you can in advance right and sometimes sometimes there literally
2: is no equivalent contingency plan like if it rains for instance like we have tons of contingency plans we have tons of buildings in camp we're totally fine but no one's ever going to say that going inside is is as good as as being outside you know last year on the coffee side not to to harp on coffee you know, I got a walkie-talkie to me at 7:30 in the morning saying uh, we had brought up three extra coffee urns. They, they just weren't working. They were busted. Something was wrong with them. So it's like, OK, we have 400 people coming to the dining hall in like a half an hour. What do we do? Uh, and lo and behold, we we figured out a solution and, and got that sorted. But yeah, you've got to plan as, as well as you can. Uh, but also knowing that stuff is going to come up and you just have to roll with the punches. And I'm, I'm uh, certainly had to learn that with Dan over the last few years.
0: Yeah. So going back to the economics and the what you guys charge and how you figure that out. So, I mean, the base question is, how did you figure out how much you wanted to charge? And then I want to talk a little bit about the promo codes and discounts.
1: Yeah. So there's uh, there's not an exact science to how much we charge, but I can tell you some of the things that inform that. Um, Part of it is looking back historically at uh, at what it takes to break even. And so uh, we get closer and closer to that that number. Part of it is looking forward and saying, you know, if there was a little more revenue, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, and it means we could build upon the experience. And uh, and so uh, we have upped the price over the years, and we're going to continue to up the price uh, because uh, a couple things come from that. One is, um, well, we get we get thousands of applications every year. And so we know the demand is there and we probably could double the price right now and be totally fine, but it's not in our culture to gouge people for the most amount of money they're willing to pay. Um, you know, it it may be the case if you're a typical business, you want to find that optimal price point where you're not leaving any money on the table, but that's not our philosophy. Uh, you said at the outset, That there are other conferences that you've been looking at that are really expensive and you know This one seemed like a little bit of an easier uh, an easier decision for you We don't want the reason that someone chooses not to apply to fireside to be because it's too expensive Uh, We we could do that we could uh, double triple the price and get 400 really wealthy successful entrepreneurs to fireside, but that would kill our culture, it would kill our community, it would kill what's important to us, which is making sure it's accessible to people in the community that have something of value to offer, but who may not ordinarily be able to attend a really expensive conference for any number of reasons. And uh, actually as part of that initiative to make Fireside more accessible, is last year we, we announced and launched a diversity and inclusion scholarship where we uh, had a completely independent committee uh, source through uh, an application process individuals that wanted to attend fireside but for any number of reasons uh, it, it wouldn't have been accessible to them at the price point And uh, working with some partners and working internally and, again, looking at what we think would work budget-wise, we've actually upped that commitment. And this year we are announcing a a $36,000 fund uh, worth of Fireside tickets that are going out to individuals in the community that ordinarily would not be able to attend at the price point that Fireside is. So there is a lot of factors that go into pricing. Uh, Individuals can expect uh, the price probably to continue to go up as we see opportunities to enhance the experience and as we continue to get thousands and thousands of applications. But ultimately, every single decision we make, whether it's about the pickles or the price of the ticket, it always comes back to, does this serve and benefit the community and does it create and, and guide towards an incredible experience? And if the answer is yes, more than likely, we end up going with that course of action.
0: Cool. And then, so let's say you have this price. I'm just going to say $2,000. I don't remember what it was, but just easy math. So you've got $2,000. You expect 400 people, and you have that number, right? But then you have discount promo codes, and you don't know how many times those are going to get used. So do you do you figure, it, factor in, like, do you guess, say, okay, probably X number of people are going to use promo codes, so our our real average ticket price might be blank? Like, do you have some math for that? Because I could... See that potentially taking, <laughs> you know, a big chunk out of your projected revenue, and then end up making it right. so you can't do some things you wanted to do. So
1: the the short answer is no. Uh, <laughs> the longer answer is it's a bit more complicated than that because we have uh, we have, we sometimes have special alumni pricing and groups. We as well. sometimes have special group pricing. Uh, we will work with all sorts of organizations and groups and alumni to, to make sure that pricing is appropriate where it needs to be. Um, and, and then we also have an early bird price where if you, if you're willing to take a risk on us and apply a year in advance, for example, well, we're willing to take a risk on you and give you a ticket price. That's probably easier for you to swallow at that time period. So, um, yeah. Listen. When we started this, we we did. We made a spreadsheet. We did the math. We put the numbers down. We said this was sort of where we want our right. average ticket price to be, so on and so forth. And it like it was
2: just so untenable. We were also yeah. We were talking about this before. In our first year, our tickets were like five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, and that was literally it. It, it was in, literally impossible to run the event in the following year at that price point. Um, You know, one thing I I don't think Dan mentioned, but I, you know, should probably bring up is like, we're giving people in our case for, for this year, especially three nights accommodation, you know, four days of programming, all of their meals, all of their drinks, every connection they're going to make, all of their camp activities. You know, we, we had to price this at, at a price that, literally would allow us to stay afloat. Um, So that's been a huge factor as well. So, you know, when we say prices have gone up, certainly over the last few years. Well, and just to put the exclamation
1: point on, on uh, the sentiment that we've been expressing about, like not really planning properly, right. not really budgeting properly, and not taking a typical smart business person approach to building this but community. But by design though, this right? This isn't like... Yes, but the exclamation point is we lost a ton of money right. in our first year. Right. Like I, I can't emphasize enough, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We weren't event managers. We'd never done something like this before. We really had no idea, like there are a Thousand complications that have come up over the last four years that we could never have seen coming and we did not know what we were doing Yes, we, we I think we have it down to a science now. I could plan fireside in my sleep But when you charge $500 for an all-inclusive two-night three-day all-you-can-drink event There's No
2: wiggle room. There's no you can, charging
1: $500 like it seems so
2: obvious now but there's no wiggle room and we lost a ton of money. Well, especially like we we got back Dan was saying we were in New Orleans for for a collision, which we loved a few weeks ago. And you know, the tickets weren't nearly as expensive as, as a fireside ticket, but we spent way more, you know, we spent way more over the course of of a few days between hotels and food and socializing and all that kind of stuff. You know, when we think about pricing, we think about a way that allows someone the comfort that they pay one amount and it's going to take care of them for the whole weekend. And it was just literally impossible at the price points we had before. Um, and I think now we have a little bit more clarity that at our current price points, we can we can have a little bit more wiggle room uh, if if some really great opportunities come come before us.
0: All right. on. Um, so let's talk about the location. What? What was the planning process to find this location like what were some of the criteria you set? <laughs> 25 years yeah. in the making, so uh, I think that's a great question. So, uh,
2: I spent 24 years uh, at Camp Walden, which is where we have this Camp Walden, Canada, I should say, because there's I think at least one Camp Walden in, in the U.S. So, um you know, I'd spent years and years and years there as a camper and then a staff member and a member member of the leadership team uh, and and for me there, there was no other better place to do it have a great and I've always had a great relationship with the with the owners um, and it's just a beautiful piece of property and it was just comfortable uh, it, it made the most sense Uh, We've looked at a lot of venues, um, not just for Fireside Conference itself, but uh, around the world for smaller retreats. We've looked at uh, other summer camps over the years. Again, not necessarily for the conference, but for other events. Um, And this just made so much sense. Uh, You know, it was one less thing to worry about. You know, it meant that, uh, you know, there was a trust level, but also like there was a comfort level of, yeah, like I knew – I could imagine how this would play out. In our first year, uh, I told a story uh, of the first year of Camp Walden, which is where we have this. And when it was built, when it was built, prior to be, be, being built, the director uh, Ted Cole at the time would go around and show parents pictures of what the buildings would look like. So he would say, "This is what the dining hall is going to look like. This is what the cabin is going to look like." In our first year of fireside, it was very much like that right it was It was Dan and I going around to founders and saying, "This is what the activities are going to be like like these are the cabins, but we didn't actually have fireside pictures. We had no media right so people were were buying into this vision of that we were creating like if you think the website is sparse with information now, you should have seen it. yeah, we had no images. first event we had no we, images we literally had nothing so The only way this was going to make sense was having a venue that, uh, you know, we had a a certain level of familiarity with. Uh, Not to say we couldn't have done it elsewhere. It's just this was just made so much sense on, on so many levels.
1: And it aligned. The other important thing is there's a certain level of serendipity to the degree to which it aligned with what our values were, which were we want to disconnect Like, we do not want to see anyone heads down on their cell phone over the few days. We want to be in a camp environment. We want to be by the lake. We want to look up at the sky at night and see every goddamn star that is possible to see on planet Earth. And there's a funny anecdote from a few years ago when— one of the attendees who uh, was a good friend of ours and wanted to come up and was saying, "Hey, you know, maybe I'll go um, to to this island in the Caribbean because I want to do some astrophotography, and I, I don't know if I can make it to fireside." And so just for fun, we we got his phone out and we looked up on uh, one of the apps that he had on his phone to show the clarity of the night sky. And it just so happened by coincidence that, the Bancroft area, which is uh, where we host Fireside, actually has one of the clearest sky ratings in the world. And it was clearer than the area that this individual was thinking of going to in the Caribbean. And we are so fortunate and so lucky that Walden, the venue, offers to us so many of those things that were important culturally, for us to build
0: what it was that we wanted to build from an event perspective a couple other revenue questions so you mentioned that you guys have some sponsors and uh, you you also mentioned this was new to me i've never heard of this is that sometimes some conferences can charge speakers to come and speak at, presumably because those people want, most conferences want the audience Yeah, i always thought it was the opposite i always thought conferences paid speakers to come so that's uh
1: the hidden secret of the conference business is that if you have a, a large enough audience, then you can pretty much get anyone to pay for access to it. That's insane
0: to me, but kind of cool. So what are some of the other revenue opportunities that you guys see for this? It's a good question. Um, or you know, for or growth I, opportunities. You know, I mean, I mentioned you don't right. want to grow the size of participation too much, but... Like, what else? I,
2: yeah, I, I think they're kind of one and the same in many respects. Like, as I was saying before, we just uh, finished successfully our, our first main big retreat for uh, for a company here in Toronto. Uh, and we're running another one in September. For us, like, running retreats for companies is a really natural way for us to extend Fireside um, and is a great revenue source, obviously, for us. Uh, and, and the pieces. We people have asked us many, many times, like come and do fireside here, do fireside there. You know, for us, we're because this isn't our full-time job, it's not our main source of revenue. It means that we can start to be pretty picky about both where and when we decide to do something. So it, you know we're not jumping to the next place to do this in if it doesn't make sense to us. Uh, that being said, I know that we have some some tricks up our sleeves. I think in the future, yeah, there's a couple things
1: that we are planning, and uh, we don't have to go into too much detail. But we're going to do a couple smaller retreats that are even more exclusive in terms of sizing, where we take 15 to 20 founders and entrepreneurs that are. Uh, it's probably going to be catered to alumni in our network that want to continue to be on the path of adventure and learning. And we're going to take them to some pretty magical places. And so those are coming up this year. And the other thing that we did last year, which was pretty unique and really exciting, is we actually started two new conferences that took place at Fireside along with the main uh, Fireside core. And we worked them in as conference tracks. And the idea was to start building a community around those conference industries so that we could uh, eventually leverage them outside of Fireside and expand them as independent businesses. And um, we we looked at what we were seeing from our community and our alumni, and what was interesting to them. And the two things that popped up in Canada, at the at the very least, were blockchain and cryptocurrency and cannabis. Uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency is probably pretty easy to understand. It's a uh, pretty global phenomenon right now. And so we started CoinConf, C-O-I-N-C-O-N-F.com, which was an amazing stream at Fireside last year. We had one of the founders of Ethereum come uh, amongst many other incredible founders joining us there. And cannabis, uh, for those that aren't too familiar with what's going on in Canada or perhaps what's going on in various states around the U.S., There's uh, big waves towards legalization. And in Canada, cannabis is being legalized recreationally this year. It's expected to be actually coincidentally around September. So there's been uh, a huge wave and movement and interest amongst people from all industries that are turning their minds to what is this new gold rush of the cannabis business. And they wanted to learn about it. And they wanted to learn about it from those individuals and leaders and founders that were pioneering the shift towards recreational marijuana. And so we founded camp marijuana way last year. We hosted that at (laughs) fireside and we had 30 people that were some of the most incredible leaders from the cannabis industry come and join us. And we had an afternoon track that was dedicated to the cannabis business and you didn't have to attend it. If you didn't want to, you could go watch other, Uh, other conference tracks, you could go water skiing. But if you wanted to learn what was happening in this gold mine industry, come and sit around the fire and talk to the people who are actually crafting it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So that actually makes me think about some of the conferences I've been to also, which, and and even just looking at the agenda for social media marketing world, and I'm, I'm bringing that up for a reason. But so the ones I go to, there's usually two or three tracks going on at any given point. And, without a doubt there's at least two if not all three that i would love to be at so as you develop these kind of sidetracks and and the the format of yours if i understand is people can kind of break off into little discussions and groups whenever like to me that's immediate fomo like i feel like i might be enjoying the one i'm at But I would really love to be talking to this group too. So I know the solution I've seen from others is you film everything and then attendees or non-attendees can buy a pass to it. And that's what social media marketing world is that you can buy like an all access video pass and watch every single presentation. So like how do you guys, as you start to develop these sidetracks within the event, how do you make it so people really can get everything they want out of it instead of having to like, you know, feel like they missed something?
2: FOMO sucks. Unfortunately, <laughs> FOMO
0: is terrible. I'm,
2: I'm, uh, I hate it as much as the next person. You know, but for us, uh, you know, you can only be in one place at one time. Uh, we're a complete fireside itself. I mean, we're we're completely disconnected. Uh, we do record. You know, all of these things. I should say. Uh, is subject to one caveat, and that is that we last year introduced a podcast stream, and we're doing that again this year, uh, where we do do audio recordings of specific podcasts. Uh, Tyler, I know uh, we'd love you to do one up there, as well as being interviewed uh, as well. Um, So basically, those podcasts can kind of live on forever and get circulated um, on the respective uh, podcast networks. Uh, But other than that, You kind of just need to experience it and just be okay with the fact that you might not be able to see everything. The other thing, too, is we have people that just say, I don't want to go to any sessions this morning. I just want to go water skiing and and play basketball and meet people at the courts. And that's also, you know, totally okay with us.
1: We have a a good friend of ours who's a two time Fireside alumni named Christina Crook. And she's an incredible author and she's penned a book called The Joy of Missing Out. And in many respects, it's related to things like technology. But we've uh, looked at that philosophy and really embraced it with Fireside. The, The truth of the matter is we've created an experience that is ephemeral and it doesn't last forever. And there are decisions to be made, but that's life. You don't get everything that you want all the time. You have to prioritize, you have to make decisions, you have to figure out what exactly it is you want to do. And yeah, you will miss out on some things. But in turn, you will also uh, have some experiences that are entirely unique to you in which no one else gets to experience. And I think that's part of the, the joy of missing out of things
0: even while you're at Fireside. Nice. Okay. Uh, One more question about some of the financial stuff. And then I've got kind of my three basic wrap up questions. Uh, The swag. Like, I know some of the swag we get from the bike events I go to is I I feel like it was done because they felt like they just had to have something for us. And there's really nothing special about it. But like, do you feel like your attendees expect or or would feel like they didn't get their money's worth that there wasn't some kind of gift or something there for them like what was the thought process behind <laughs> having that stuff so in our first year we accidentally had a swag item we had a toque
1: We had a toque in our second year what are we doing our second what, year? What, we had a, what's a, uh, what is a toque oh a oh, beanie it's, a, it's like a beanie <laughs> uh, hat okay. like we're a, canadian sorry <laughs> oh it's a toque stop apologizing why am i apologizing <laughs> why, why am i apologizing
2: uh, so we did that. Uh, that we actually put a sponsor's logo on. I completely forget what we did in our second year.
1: We had a T-shirt, just
2: one of the, a T-shirt and one of those disposable bags. We did well, it's non-disposable,
1: like grocery bags, and we had a couple. Oh items right, but it wasn't in there. branded. No, right. Um, and and then, so, so number one is um, no one ever came to Fireside with the expectation of swag, and that I think it's made our
2: fault that now they are
1: right. So right. well, that made so that made last year a little more fun, which was, uh, again, you you live and you learn with events, and um, this was literally something we didn't even think of in our first year, which we did uh, uh, probably a a mediocre job of in our second year. And then in our third year, I spent the greater part of five or six months speaking directly with factories all over the world, producing completely bespoke custom-made swag items. And uh, one of the items that we made last year was uh, a beautiful duffel bag that was completely custom made. Every part of it was custom, including the inner lining that we, Stephen and I designed ourselves and literally spent hours going back and forth on the precise size of the logo and the rotation right. and the spacing. And um, uh, we continue, we do get, uh, we we continue to get a lot of positive feedback even to this day about those bags but the I the truth is we've set we've certainly set the bar high for ourselves from last year but um I've been spending the greater part of the last six months on swag for this year and Tyler I'll I'll leave the verdict up to you at Fireside to to tell us how we did I think we're gonna totally hit it out of the park We're really excited about some of the items that we're getting together. Um, You can expect to not get any of those typical crappy swag items that you might get at other events where people are looking to keep their costs really down. But at the same time, uh, we don't advertise on our website that you're going to come and you're going to get some amazing swag items. That's another area where it really is just a complete joy to – Like, for me to have had the experience of working directly with factories, figuring out supply chain logistics, figuring out shipping logistics, like selfishly, it's an incredibly fun project to undertake. And then to see something you've dreamt up together, that Stephen and I have dreamt up together, to see that come uh, into fruition as a tangible item is really a rewarding thing. And so we do swag somewhat selfishly for ourselves. Uh, we want it to be, we want the swag items to be items that people will actually want to use. So we tend to really let our brand sit in the background and not be be all over the item. But, um, uh, again, I'll, I'll just say it's something that we take a lot of pride in and we're really excited for what's going to come this year. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. You
0: have set the bar pretty high uh, uh <laughs> just don't tell anyone else yeah okay uh, at least not for a couple of weeks until this one goes live um okay. what keeps you guys up at night what kind of operational or management issues <laughs> keep you up at night maybe Everything. pick like the biggest one <laughs>
2: um just honestly it, to me it's email I, I just the number of messages we get on so many different channels email twitter instagram uh, and not wanting to, to like anyone who has tried, anyone who's written us and hasn't yet received the response, right. they'll know like what we're talking about. We are horrible with Plus the... it's like, again, cause it's a hobby. Uh, it's a very important hobby. Um,
0: it sounds like... like you need an FAQ page, right?
2: <laughs> Trust <laughs> me. Yeah, you it, know what? It doesn't help. It's, uh, th- that's to me, I, I just don't want to miss anything uh organizationally though and and that's probably for a whole other discussion i'm happy to have another time which is how we've how we've made our organization way better uh, in terms of just processes and automation and stuff like that so that's not keeping us up at at night as much as it used to but that's for sure the first one well and
1: there's there's different things that because we have different roles. So I imagine things like the application process and when something breaks in like the custom forms that we've built out with credit card processing probably keeps you up at night. And for me, I'm sitting in bed at night. It's probably two or three in the morning. I'm talking to my contact in China or Malaysia or Singapore and they're telling me how the factory has a delay and it's gonna be another three days and now I'm calculating in my head oh, crap, by the time we, we got clear air, customs air, and everything again, we're, we're going to miss like right. we we actually funny enough, our duffel bags. Uh, it really came down to the wire last year, we got them like two or three days before fireside. So it was, um, it was definitely a challenge and something that kept me up at night.
0: So is there, let, let's focus on the email one, because I think that's a problem everybody has is responding to all of the inbound stuff. Like, is there a product or service that you guys can imagine would help solve that or alleviate that? Well, I mean, the, the
2: number one thing
0: to me is is harnessing Gmail
2: and Gmail apps. Uh, I use follow-up a ton, which is huge for me. So if I send a message, uh, it's follow-up.cc. So if I send a message, it, I can set a reminder, so it'll come back into my inbox, but I can also use it to snooze messages. Although I think Gmail just uh, is releasing some new tools themselves, uh, and I think that'll be in there. Uh, for me, you know, that's the biggest. Uh, also, I think... The more Daniel and I CC each other on things, although it's kind of old school, it's it's good that him and I can we yeah. have our shared to do list and we can keep ourselves honest as much as possible to make sure that we're not missing stuff. But I mean, we're human, right? But but follow up is a great tool for that.
1: I think another one that we've uh, we've gotten quite a lot of use of is X.AI, oh, yeah, which X which is an AI. Uh, an AI virtual assistant <laughs> that helps with with scheduling although meetings. Sometimes I think I used it with Tyler and I yeah. it just it up. got but a I little used weird. It that's funny. It I would say uh, one out of ten times is a miss, but nine out of ten times it works pretty well. And so I, I wouldn't use that, for example, in my professional capacity. But as far as a tool to help us stay on track with buyer side, it's uh, it's become priceless.
0: Cool. Yeah. Are there some other scheduling or, or you guys said like kind of sharing your to do list? Is there some other tools you guys use that you'd recommend?
2: Yeah. So we use to do us to share our um, our just obviously to do items we started just using uh air Table recently which we absolutely love and i can't wait to keep playing around with that but airtable has been amazing over the last uh, few weeks and um we use a lot of shared notes on use, apple notes yeah apple notes like we have a ton of shared notes we actually we keep a shared note of links we have another shared note of um some like uh odd to do's that are don't quite fit onto a to-do list like uh you know, if we're planning the same kind of event like a barbecue or dinner every time, we would just set ourselves up with a um, with a, uh, a share to do. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, those are basically the the main tools. We don't use Slack generally, um, other than
0: for our community, but we don't really use anything like that uh, internally. Okay, uh, last one. What's uh, one or two pieces of advice you'd give to anybody that wants to start something kind of like what you guys are doing? Don't run an event. Yeah. don't okay. run
1: an event if you want
2: to make money and um, so many people have told us that but uh, it's some advice though uh, you gotta be a little crazy um, and you gotta you need to see through the the lows because at the end of our first year when we were looking at our bank statement and not sure how we were gonna pay for anything uh, including groceries uh, we somehow still found the confidence to say we're gonna do it again. And that's why we did year two, and we're so happy that we did.
1: And uh, I, I was being a little bit tongue in cheek. I, I mean, if you, if you want to start an event, absolutely go for it. There's nothing that brings me more joy in in my work life than being able to work on Fireside, and it it's uh, it's something that takes a lot of passion and a lot of time. But if you just really focus on creating an incredible product and a great community
0: you will find success in the long run. Yeah, actually that's, sorry, I've kind of one more based on that thing. So the community side of it, I think that's one thing that a lot of brands, regardless of whether it's a conference or whatever, they wanna build a community around their brand or their product because that really becomes, there's become your most fervent fans and the ones that are gonna spread the word for you. So like uh, people go to your thing and they have an amazing experience that probably goes the longest way toward creating that community. But then you have the ongoing Slack channel, what else do you do to foster and keep that community going so that it, it doesn't fizzle out, you know, a couple months after the event?
1: So like Stephen mentioned, uh, actually, let, let me just take a step back. It's uh, a little bit easier to do on the local level than it is to do on the global level. And now that we have uh, members that come to Fireside from all over the world, it's it's uh, a new set of challenges that we're trying to learn how to overcome. On the local level, it's a little bit easier. So Stephen mentioned at the outset, we were um, a, a little feverish to look out the window and see what the weather was like, because we're actually hosting an alumni barbecue tonight, which is something in the summers that we do every other week. By the way, you know the
2: whole world is burning all around us right now. Like trees are literally, I keep getting notifications. Trees, oh, really? Yeah. So so maybe our barbecue's canceled, no, I, it, I don't know. I think it's on, but I keep getting notifications from people saying my trees are down. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. So we – to us,
1: there's nothing that is better and that replaces face-to-face interaction, and that's why we do Fireside, and that's why when we do things with alumni, we – like we are having this barbecue at Stephen's home, right? We're welcoming 20 or so of our alumni tonight to – come into Stephen's home where his family is, where he lives, and to come barbecue with us. And that's, I think, the ultimate encapsulation of what fireside is versus what a typical conference might be. Find me another conference in the world where the conference organizer invites paid attendees to come to his or her home for dinner and to really become part of the family. I don't think you can find that anywhere else. And I think that's something that's quite unique to
0: us. And quite frankly, we wouldn't have it any other way. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate it. This was a fun conversation. <laughs> it's really interesting figuring, learning how you guys are running this thing. So not at all what I was expecting, but good stuff. Yeah, I, w- I wish we could have broken out the spreadsheets more, but unfortunately, we don't have any. <laughs> uh, spreadsheets suck. I mean, they're necessarily evil sometimes, but... We agree. Well, maybe we'll learn something from you uh, for next year. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Guys, looking forward to seeing you at the event. And thanks for your time. Thanks, Tyler. Likewise. So are take we. care. What I love about Stephen Dan's business is that they're just having so damn much fun with it. They're fortunate to have day jobs. Dan's an attorney and both are partners with others on a legal services app, which allows them to run fireside as the type of conference they'd want to attend. And that's the premise for so many startups. When you can't find a solution you like, create your own and then find others willing to pay for it. It's because of their passion for creating the best possible experience that it's grown and they can charge a little more each year. More than that, though, they've so impressed past attendees that some of those people now hire them to run corporate retreats and other events, which are highly profitable. Truth be told, you can make quite a bit of money from an event and still make it amazing. Make a list of your hard costs, make it extensive, and include things like lodging and meals, including what's needed for your staff and volunteers, for the venue, other rental equipment, signage, marketing, etc. Then find out how many attendees you want and how much profit you want to make. From there, it's simple math that's almost assuredly going to be way off of reality. So pad all of your expenses by 20% or so. Sponsorships and, to my surprise, charging speakers to present are ways of boosting revenue further. Just be sure to cultivate and budget for a great experience so people feel like they're getting more than their money's worth and will want to come back. As for running a smooth event, in my experience, it comes down to thinking through the process, every process from the time someone signs up to the moment they leave. Make a list of each action required to make each process happen smoothly. This helps you think through any problems ahead of time and come up with contingency plans. Thanks for listening. I put links to all of the services and resources they use to run Fireside in the show notes at thebuildcycle.com slash podcast. While you're there, send me a quick note and let me know what you thought of this episode and what type of companies you'd like to hear more about. Here's hoping you're planning something great. Until next time, keep building.